So if you have your Bible, pick it up, and uh, we're going to look at some passages tonight. It's a summary of an Old Testament book. It's a short book, but it has several lessons in it that I think are valuable to us. And we're going to try to hit some of those high points that will, uh, I believe, be very practical for us as we uh, go out this week and try to live for Jesus. If you have your Old Testament open, open to the book of Habakkuk. Um, it's not a book that we uh, turn to very often, but it's, uh, it is in there. Just keep looking. Uh, I'll give you a little while to find it. It's not one of those we go to very often. But uh, as we uh, look at this book tonight, what I want to do is, uh, it, it's three chapters long. And uh, like I said, just do a survey and make some application points that uh, I think are noteworthy or worth pointing out to us. Habakkuk was a prophet during, well, there were uh, prophets prior to the exile, there were prophets during the period of exile, and there were prophets post-exile. And Habakkuk was one of those pre-exilic prophets he, he wrote to the people of Judah before Babylon had come and, and taken them captive and hauled them off into a foreign land and, and well, held them for 70 years uh, until a remnant of them came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Habakkuk was living during a time then of, um, well, just moral decline. Society, God's people had just dropped off the table. They were doing things that were offensive to God. And thus, God was going to bring judgment upon them. And so Habakkuk writes, and listen to what he says in Habakkuk 1 and verse 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. I think it's noteworthy to begin with by saying that this prophecy was a burden to Habakkuk. You know, sometimes we have the notion that if, and maybe you've seen this attitude in, in brethren, that when you get a chance to, to nail someone's hide to the wall, it's kind of fun. You know, somebody's doing wrong and we catch them in their wrong and, and we get some kind of charge out of that, some kind of enjoyment out of that. Habakkuk has the children of Judah dead to rights. They are sinful. And he says, it, it's a burden. I take no pleasure in this. Even the judgment that God is going to bring upon them for their wickedness, I find no pleasure in watching my brethren suffer. It is a burden to me. And we need to learn to view sin and sinners in that fashion. Don't ever take pleasure in the fall of an individual. You know, I think back to the time when... uh, Do you remember when Saddam Hussein and some others, you know, met their untimely end or or Osama bin Laden? And and, uh, I I can remember dancing in the streets and hoop-hop, you know, hip-hop arraying and everybody's so excited because we killed these guys. And, And I'm not saying that justice wasn't served. I'm not saying that there was or shouldn't have been a sense of relief because these were wicked men. But even God said, I take no delight in the death of the unrighteous. Can we, as children of God, delight in the fact that a person goes to meet God unprepared? 
Uh, I understand injustice. I understand, you know, the relief that it gives and, and justice being served, but, but it still should be a burden. And that's a sad day for that man or those men when they came to, to meet their end and, and face God unprepared. Habakkuk is a prophet of God and he is a man who's righteous, living among an unrighteous people. And when God says, this is what's going to happen to him because of it, he says, it's a burden. I take no pleasure in it. And, and we need to develop that attitude. Look at what he says in verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you'll not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contention arises. Um, therefore, the law was powerless. Justice never goes forth. And the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. It's a mess. But I want you to notice two things from this. Number one, he says, how long shall I cry? You know what that means? He's been praying to God about it. He sees the sin and the sinfulness of his society. And it's not something that he just bemoans. It's something he's been praying about. Hey, listen, we don't have to look very far. Just turn on your news and look at the things that our society, our culture is is immersed in that are out of harmony with the will of God. And we can moralize about it and say, how awful can you believe? Fifty years ago, we never would have. And all that's true. But let me ask you, have you prayed about it? It's one thing to moralize. It's another thing to go to God in prayer about it. The prophet Habakkuk said, man, things are a mess. And you know that I've been talking to you about that. We need to be a people of prayer. That's what Habakkuk was. And also notice this. Where's his loyalty lie? Habakkuk is concerned about righteousness more than he is about Judah. He's more concerned about doing right and being right with God than he is being nationalistic and having his nation on top. You know, what about that? Does that hit home with us as well? Are we more interested in being number one as a nation, the United States being on top of the heap, or are we more interested in being moral, upright people if we could become moral in the eyes of God and get back to a sense of, of decency and morality and, and, well, just, you know, come to our senses in a lot of things, what if it cost us and, and our economy bottoms out and our nation struggles, would that be worth it? What if, what if it meant that We had some real tough suffering ahead of us, but it's going to bring us back. Who who are you more loyal to? Do you want righteousness above the great nation? Or do you want the great nation above the righteousness? Habakkuk was a prophet who said, I see injustice and sin, and I've been crying out to you, Lord, you've got to do something. How long until you fix this? I'm not committed to this nation. I'm committed to you and things need to change. Well, God answers Habakkuk's question. 
He says, in fact, he says, look among the nations, verse 5, and be utterly astounded. And I am doing something right now. He said, for I work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. I'm rising or raising up the Chaldeans. And listen how he describes them. A bitter and hasty nation, verse 6. Verse 7, terrible, dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. They're their own gods. Whatever they decide to do, well, that's what they're going to do. They're their own judges. They have become their own gods. Their horses, verse 8, are swifter than lepers. Um, they're more fierce than evening wolves. They fly like an eagle. The chargers charge ahead. The cavalry comes. Uh, cavalry comes. They all come for violence. That's what kind of people these are, they are. Their faces are set like the east wind. I mean, there's no deterring these folks. When they come, they come. And he says, they scoff at kings and princes. They deride that, listen, you can build a stronghold. You can have a city fortified. They'll just build up an embattlement. They'll bring up earthen mounds to breach that wall. They'll come in. They'll take you. You can't stop them. So that's what God said he was going to do to punish Judah. Habakkuk, a prophet, has been crying out to God, Lord, how long? Do something with these people. They're all sinners. And he said, I am, I am. What I'm doing is I'm going to take those horrible, rotten, no good people, the Chaldeans, who are mean and vicious and ungodly. Their God is their own judgment. And I'm going to have them come and put it to you. Well, that creates a problem for Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk then has this question. Basically, some, to summarize it, it's this. God, how, wait a second. How can you use the Babylonians to punish Judah, your people, when they're more wicked than we are? You know, I've been telling you that we're wicked, and we are, but man, they're worse than us, so how can you use a more wicked nation to punish a lesser Wicked nation. Look at verse um, 12. He said, and, and listen how he couches his complaint to God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. I get it. That's what you said you're going to do. You've appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You're of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. So why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue with the, uh, when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Is it wrong to question and not understand the activity of God? I sure hope not. Because who knows the ways of God? Who knows how he works things out in his providence? None of us fully understand the activity of God. Isn't that what Job had that problem? And God said, all right, listen here. You sit down right there and you answer me a few questions. And Job said, I don't know what I've been talking about. You're way above me. And so Habakkuk questions God 
but absolutely with respect for the character and the place, the nature of God. He says, God, I know you're holy. I know you're upright. And I know this is what you've chosen to do. And I'm not accusing you of anything. I know that you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You would never do anything wrong. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. Please understand me. But what I am saying is I don't understand. In fact, if you look at chapter 2, in the very first verse, look at the last thing he says. He says, I'm going to stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch and see what he'll say to me and what I will answer when, listen, when I am corrected. You see, there, Habakkuk is not coming from a platform where he's saying, God, you've messed this one up big time. You, I don't think you know what you've done. He's saying, you're good, you're holy, you're right, you'll do the right thing. I just don't understand it. And so when you correct me, you see the difference? You know, this morning we talked about people sometimes raising a fist to God and saying, why me? And they call into question God's activity almost as though um, you have no right to do this or, or that. That is not the platform upon which Habakkuk is making his complaint. He's saying, you are righteous and what, you're do- what you've done is right. I just don't understand it. Will you please help me to understand? And, and that's, that's fair. And there are times when we find ourselves in situations in life where I just don't understand the activity of God. I don't know why certain things happen as they do. I don't question God's activity or his wisdom. I just acknowledge I don't get it. And uh, I wait for answers that will someday be uh, fulfilled. So here's what God tells him. He said, all right, I'll, I'll answer your question. And he says, write my answer or write the vision and make it plain on tablets, verse 2, chapter 2, that he may run who reads it. That's plain. I, I don't know. I don't guess many of us have set out or to undertake the, the uh, task of running and reading. It's probably not something you'd want to do. Um, but if you were to try to do it, it would really have to be big, plain letters, or it would all just be, you know, you'd never get it. God says, here's what, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to make it plain so that the person can run who reads it. And here's what he says. The just are going to have to live by their faith. Have you ever found yourself in situations where life just gets hard? There's no easy way. It is hard. It's devastating. You face things and it almost causes you to despair. You get discouraged. Sometimes you feel like giving up. Sometimes the only thing that holds you and your life together is your faith in God. In 30 plus years of preaching... I couldn't begin to tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, Steve, if it weren't for my faith in God, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know how I could have dealt with this or handled this or processed this if I didn't have a hope 
in Jesus Christ. So there's some bad stuff coming down the pike. And so God says, listen, I'm telling you, this is going to be something that the just are going to have to live by their faith. You may not like it. It may unnerve you. It, it, it may be very difficult. You're just going to have to trust me. Put your trust in me. Well, what about that charge, God? What, what about that question? How can you, a righteous God, use a wicked people to punish a lesser wicked people? The answer that God gives is in chapter 2, and basically there are five points to it. Those points are mentioned in verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, and verse 15, and verse 19. He pronounces woes upon the Chaldeans. The very people that he's going to raise up to punish Judah, he says, they're going to be in trouble too. And the woes are based upon these things. He says in verse 6, Woe to him who increases what is not his own. A person who takes what doesn't belong to him is going to be in trouble. And that's what they were doing. He says in verse 9, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house. That too is what they were going to do to Judah. They're in trouble for that. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. They were going to shed a lot of blood. They're in trouble for that. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor or strong drink to his neighbor so that they can, they can be manipulated. Make them drunken and then manipulate them. They're going to pay for that. And then verse 19, Woe to him who says to wood, awake, or stone, uh, arise. He's talking about idolatry. Who talks to stones and wood? You know, who, who's going to use them as their gods? If you're guilty of idolatry, there, there's a price to pay. What God says in answer to his question is, Habakkuk, wait a second. Yeah, the Chaldeans are bad. And they may even be worse than Judah. But do you think they're going to go unpunished? Do you think they're getting off scot-free? Do you think I won't hold them accountable for the sins that they commit to? The fact that I'm bringing judgment on Judah, don't I have a right? Aren't they worthy of judgment? And let me take care of the Chaldeans in my own good time. Let, let me use my judgment in when and how they too will be disciplined. I'm a just God. If you disobey me, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Chaldean. There's a price to pay. So God answers his question and just simply says, nobody's getting away with anything here. Everybody has to come to judgment. And so with word that the Chaldeans are coming, the Babylonians are coming, and they are such a wicked and hasty and cruel nation, and they're going to come in and, and invade Judah. Habakkuk says in chapter 3 and verse 2, Oh Lord, I've heard your speech. This scares me. I, I'm afraid. And he praises God for activity that he had done in the past, but here's how he concludes the book. Begin in verse 16 with me of chapter 3. 
He said, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. He said, listen, this scares me to death. You know, we've been living in peace here. I know things aren't the way they should be, but you're telling me you're going to send this invading, cruel, hasty nation, this bloodthirsty people, that there's no turning back, and you're going to let them come in and discipline us and punish us. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my neighbors? What's going to happen to the people that I love? This makes me sick at my stomach. Uh, rottenness enters my bone. I, I am trembling. My lips are quivering when I hear this news. But he has this resolve. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fall, And the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. If everything falls apart, if there is no livelihood, everything that we depend on, if it's taken away from us and we have nothing left, he says, yet I will rejoice in my Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Can we find peace in the midst of terrible, undesirable circumstances? Habakkuk could, and we can as well. We don't have to have everything lay down just right in front of us in life. Everything just has to be perfectly smooth for us in order to experience joy in life. We can have a mess around us and still rejoice in the God of our salvation. That that brings in this point that he made in chapter 2, where he said, listen, what I'm about to tell you, the just are going to have to live by faith. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is saying. Man, I, I don't know, I'm scared to death. It frightens me when I think of what might happen to me and to the people that I love. But I'm telling you, whatever it is, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to find joy in the God of my salvation. He said, the Lord is my strength, verse 19. He'll make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Or on my high hills. Here's how the book ends. Habakkuk starts out doubting God. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But as he moves through the book in three short chapters, he now says, bring it on. Whatever happens, happens. But I'm going to stay faithful to you no matter what. Even if it means that I lose my life and everything is taken away, I will still put my hope and my faith in you. And isn't that the kind of resolve that we should have today? I don't know what's going to happen to us. I know that we, in, in, in many ways, live among a sinful people, just like Habakkuk was doing. And I know that we have many times cried out to God and said, God, how long, oh Lord, how long? I mean, what, 
What's next? Are you kidding me? And it frustrates us. And I don't know what's coming down the pike. I don't know how or when or if God will choose to discipline us in this life as a nation. He may. He may not. But if he does, will we have the same resolve that Habakkuk had? It doesn't matter what happens. My loyalty is with you, not with my country. My loyalty is with you first, then my people. And whatever happens, I'm just going to trust in you. And uh, that situation, you come to the book of Revelation, and, and you have those encouragements, be faithful even unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. And there were people who, because of their circumstances, they died for their faith in Jesus. Their lives were taken in cruel and and inhumane ways. But we see them at the end of the book reigning with Christ in eternity. The just shall live by faith. Don't lose heart. No matter what we see in our society, how disgusting and how disappointed we are at the choices and, and the, the, the things that take place, live by faith, trust in God. No matter what happens, He'll take care of you. That's the kind of faith and commitment we all need. Um, it's a short book, but I think there's some great lessons and timely lessons for us living today. Let's be a people who see the burden of our nation, of our land, the sin that goes on. Let's remain loyal to God and trust Him no matter what. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that. We'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and and you want to put your faith and trust in Him and live, by faith. Maybe you haven't been doing that. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.